Hey guys, um, thank you for joining us for the last session today. Uh, just to provide a little bit of context, um, you know, this has been a banner year for India Gaming. We've seen record investment coming in from abroad. We've seen some landmark M&A deals, including Moonfrog, Play Simple. And at Lumikai, we now get pinged pretty much daily by large global players who are looking to see how they can get more involved in the India market. So with that in mind, we're kind of joined today now by an esteemed group of global gaming leaders. Uh, guys have all been tracking India. Uh, they've already invested directly or indirectly in some shape or form in the market. And we're hoping to get an understanding from them on how they view the market today and also some of the opportunities that they're going to be looking for in the market going forward as well. I'm going to keep this as a free-flowing discussion. If you guys have any questions, please let us know in the chat. Uh, let's kick off with some introductions. Uh, perhaps, uh, Alex, if you want to go first. Hi, thank you, Jefferson. Hi, everyone. I'm Alexis Bond. I'm the Group Chief Operating Officer at uh, Stillfront. Uh, prior to that, I was the founder of Republic Labs, which uh, got acquired by Stillfront a few years ago. And um, our presence in the Indian market is we uh, were the acquirer of uh, Moonfrog. Great. Thanks, Alexis. Uh, Justin, do you want to go next? Uh, yeah, great. Great to be here. Um, with uh, my fellow panelists. I am from Scopely. I'm actually in Tokyo at the moment, based here in Japan, overseeing the Asia-Pacific business for Scopely. Um, and uh, have spent uh, the better part of the last year bothering Justin at Lumikai and Salone to learn more about the Indian market and um, uh, look forward to discussing today. Great, thanks, Justin. Uh, san thank you for joining us. I know English is not your first language. Very kind of you to join. Uh, please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Go. Uh, I'm from Sega Corporation. Uh, I'm the executive officer of Sega, and uh, also I'm a head of uh, Japan and Asia publishing of uh, Sega. So nice to meet you, and uh, looking forward to talk. Thank you. Great. Good. So let's jump into some questions. Um, I think let's start with, um, so look, I think all of you guys, as we said, have been tracking the India market in some shape or form, often from different directions with different priorities. What have your observations been so far on the market's evolution, both on, I guess, the user side and the developer side? Uh, I think let's start off with uh, Justin on this. Okay, uh, thanks. Um, well, on the, on the, um, I have to say what's fascinated me about the past year, 18 months or so, on, on the consumer side, the evolution. You know, the types of games that are being played, uh, I think the, the growing sophistication of the, of the player. Mm. Something that um, if you compare to the evolution of other markets um, early on in their, their, their life cycle, I think... Uh, the speed with which consumers are adopting new forms of gaming in India is really interesting. And, um, you know, if anything, I think the developers are and will continue to be challenged to keep up the pace to meet this sort of growing and diversifying demand. Um, because as we know, the, the gaming industry, uh, the type of games being produced today are extremely diverse. And so uh, for any studio, including um, uh, ours, 
picking your spots and, and really focusing on which genres you're going to become exceptional at is, is a key point. So watching how Indian studios pivot and address sort of the, the um, evolving consumer tastes and demand is going to be interesting. Um, and I think from that, we'll see some real interesting trends in the next two to three years in, in particularly at what type of games consumers are gravitating towards. Great. Um, Alexis, Go, would you like to add anything to that? Yeah. Go, you want to go? Uh, well, well, uh, Sega have been looking for India market for years, and I remember ten years ago when I visited Mumbai, it was very, very different. I mean, we tried to talk to, I believe it was India Games, uh, to make games together at that time, but unfortunately it didn't go well. But Two years ago, I visited Mumbai again. And I visited a lot of developers and game publishers, and everything was different. Uh, also, the mobile, uh, mobile. Uh, I visited Geo, Geo, and it was very, very. They were very, very aggressive to invest more in the internet and also mobile situations. So. Sega's point of view, uh, these 10-year changes is very, very big, and we're looking user changes and also uh, to see how much their developers are investing when we're looking for a very bright future, I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, if, if I could, you know, build on what Justin Go just said, I think if you, if you take a bit of a step back and you look at the Indian market, uh, from a games perspective and then from an industry perspective, I think initially it was really all about the talent pool, the developer talent pool that was there and about um, the cost, quite quite frankly. That was kind of how how big industry players looked at the at the market. You would move, you know, Zynga has big live operations, you know, uh, teams there that also train, train the talent there. So I think that's interesting. Now I think we're looking at it at, uh, at the talent pool in a different way because basically the talent has increased improved uh so that's a big change i think in the in the industry the big evolution which allows for many many new things so that's on one side i would say you know, the the pure talent side of things and then there's a the market side of things right uh where with mobile games we quickly saw you know india go from not even the market <laughs> to you know on google play basically you know the the, the biggest market for downloads so you start right. taking notice uh and then now uh, you're starting to see as well some local players uh, that are managing to do the types of games that monetize uh, correctly uh, in India. It's still, you know, very, very early days in terms of monetization in, in, in that market. But if you look at the size of the market, you look at the evolution and you take a long term approach. You now, there's no doubt in my mind that this is going to become a massive market. And then building on Justin's point, that means that it's going to allow for new types of games and new things of like that. So. You got you put together the evolution of the talent pool, uh, the quality of the talent, plus a market uh, that is massive and growing very fast and maturing very fast. I think you find yourselves with uh, a massive opportunity, and that's why we're interested in, in this market. Yeah. So, you know, I think um, as we talked about earlier, there's been it feels to us like there's been kind of an exponential increase in inbound interest especially over the last year or two. 
um, from global gaming companies. And obviously, some of that is manifested in some M&A activity. Um, we've seen the Zara's IPO. We've seen more M&A and just general investment across the ecosystem. Um, but India has been on a growth trajectory now for you know three, four, five years, certainly since Geo. Why do you think... Do you first agree that there's been more interest just over the last 12 months? And why do you think that increased interest is happening now? And what's driving it? Well, I'll go first. I think um, uh, uh, absolutely I would agree with that. Um, and uh, I'm an example of that in, in our company's example of that. I don't think 24 months ago, even maybe even 18 months ago, Scopely was applying the same level of interest and focus on the India market that it is today. Um, we don't go back as long as, as Sega, for example, um, and, and uh, cycles on. But um, what I would say is, you know, things like the level of downloads garners a lot of attention. You know, frankly, I think the activity last year and the performance of some of the uh, the, 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 the Chinese studios at the time and, and companies like Kraft and now, you know, in genres that we would have never associated with uh, Indian consumers, uh, so that, you know, going beyond what we would have the, the sort of the perception of it being very much a casual market, which in and of itself could be very big. But then you add on top of that these mid-core categories that are now becoming in demand, uh, that got our attention. So, well, wait a second, that wasn't, that's new. Um, we always knew that India would be a big uh, consumer market eventually, but some of these these um, categories that tend to drive a, a much higher ARPU and conversion rates um, and really speak to more of the core gamer audience are really picking up um, speed, that caught our attention. And I think really that's probably the last 12 to 18 months. Um, that is definitely a, a seismic shift. Yeah. Slide this on? Yeah, uh, maybe adding to that, I mean, even though I'm living in Japan, I'm seeing the news by Japan Techs. There are a couple of articles that says, I mean, new contents developed by the India uh, will cover Japan game stage. So I think that is pretty new in this 18 months or so. So I think we feel the India market is changing, even not only the market, but like Alexis mentioned, it's talent of a development. Yeah. Alexis, anything to add? Obviously, you guys have made a pretty big play this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Saisan and Justin covered it really well. Uh, I mean, the only thing I would have is kind of insisting on this on the same point, I think, is, um, I mean, traditionally, I think we've looked at India in terms of developing games in India uh, for the rest of the world or having part of teams developing larger games in India for the rest of the world or doing live operations there. I think that's still the case. And you know, an example of that recent transaction is Play Simple, you know, which is really focusing on the external markets. Um, but our move was very different. You know, we very clearly targeted a company that was, you know, in the top three grossing performance on the local market with Moonfrog. And that was clearly our strategic choice. And I think we're going to see a bit more of that. And in that way, we might end up with, I mean, I have very few people try and compare, you know, oh, what's, you know, does that mean that India is going to be the new Turkey, you know? And and actually, I don't fully agree with that. I think uh, the difference is that Turkey is a big market, uh, but India will have a massive market. 
So I think the, the, the dynamics at play with India will be slightly different. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, look, so, you know, you guys have all looked at the market pretty closely over the last 18 months. Uh, I, I'm curious to understand, um, both from kind of, I guess, a personal perspective, um, from your own visits and your own research and your, com your conversations with Indian studios, and also just more broadly from a company perspective, what do you look for in Indian studios? How do you evaluate Indian studios, either as uh, partners or potentially, you know, for early stage investments, acquisitions? Um, what's your kind of framework for looking at studios and what are the kind of priorities that you're looking at? Well, I, I, um, I'll sort of keep the order going. You know, I think it's it's actually changed a little bit the lenses we're applying because um, to Alexa's point earlier, if, if we were looking at an investment or even an acquisition about a year ago, I think we would have been very much looking at it more as like uh, some develop to beef up our development, our internal development capabilities to support what we're doing in other regions, particularly in the West. Uh, Europe and North America. And um, although the ability to do that from India is only increasing and there's more talent that you could apply to that model, that is a very viable model. Um, and it's one lens we apply. At the same time, you know, as the domestic market grows at its current growth rates and probably will pick up pace, uh, and knowing that you need a whole different set of skills. Uh, in order to make a game successful inside of India, or let's say in the broader region, including Middle Eastern countries, then you would need for a pure support dev function for a Western studio. Um, the types of companies we look at are just broadening, right? And, and um, you almost have to apply certain criteria when we're looking at certain companies and say, well, they might fit in our strategy in these areas. Uh, but not in these other areas. Um, some companies um, that are doing well in India actually are doing well from India, but not inside of India, doing well outside of India in the region. Right. Some are doing very well domestically in India. So you have to really dig in and understand the core competency of these, these studios as we look at it, potential investments, because India in and of itself, kind of like a China or a Japan, will eventually be its own standalone region, right? That you you can build an entire gaming business just in that market, right? And never go outside if you wanted to, like the States or, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's a market that people are very adept to like developing with a global mindset. Um, so again, I think you need to look at it with, with it depends on which lens you want to uh, apply and within Scopely, we're, we're, we're looking at it in multiple ways. Psycho-san, yeah. anything to add? Well, yeah, I think from Sega's point of view, uh, we're pretty much seeing with adjusting uh, some scope uh, We see the India as a big future market for us, even not only the mobile area, but also maybe uh, some theme games and all those package games too. So, Base, I mean, first thing when you when I wanted to come when Sega wants to come into I mean, India, we need partner who can 
localized or not only the text localized but uh, culturalized RIPs or games to the Indian market. So that kind of capability is what we're looking for at the first place. But for the company like Sega, we own uh, various studios across the world and we publish those titles to worldwide. And we still believe that, I mean, we are now believing that India's studio will have a capability to make a own IPs or own games to publish, which can publish worldwide. So it's kind of like investment to studio and also a partnership with a publisher. Yeah. Um, Saito-san, are you, uh, so I think your perspective might be slightly different from Alexis and Justin's in that they are, their business is primarily mobile and Sega is a conglomerate across multiple different business groups. Is, how much of your interest in India is on sourcing and, and I guess complementing your mobile business or are you also actively looking for PC and console game developers because we actually this is I know a free-to-play conference but there's a vibrant community of like indie game developers we're now starting to build titles for the global market as well right I mean well we see maybe a little different way I mean we create mobile games and also PC games and various, even arcade games, right? But uh, I think, I mean, in coming 10 years or in decades, I mean, maybe device will not be that effective. I mean, making IPs or making a game content itself is more important than which device or which platform you're going to try. So, uh, it's kind of like making, building IP uh, from our point of view. Uh, this video can maybe develop mobile and console together. And business model is maybe the different in various local areas, but having a strong IP, it makes groups very stronger. And that's yeah. what we see. Yeah, great. Uh, Alexis, I'd love to hear more about kind of the filters and how you look at uh, evaluating studios and are you interested in doing more acquisitions or potential partnerships? Or how are some of the ways you're, you're thinking about working with you? Yeah, so we, we have a slightly different filter to, um, to Saito-san, Sega, and also to, uh, to Justin. Um, so we, uh, at Scopely, we tend not to go a uh, still front, not to go in, to go in very early into studios. Um, we usually don't invest or take minority stakes or build up a development center as you know, for example, Scopely is done, you know, across across several studios in several geographies. We tend to go in later on when the studios are more mature. Uh, they've been through the highs and lows of building their studios. The culture is pretty set. Um, ideally, they've achieved, you know, uh, you know, product market fit and some and some for scaling um, either locally uh, with their local product, but also, you know, we it's not what we, we did acquire Moonfrog, but we're also interested in studios that develop in India and have a, a, a for, for the international market. But we want them to be, you know, already at the point where they're scaling and they, ideally they're the, almost the complete package, but maybe they're missing a few things to really go to the next level and we can help that them, you know, with the toolbox that we have at, at Stillfront. So that's kind of, so I'd say, you know, more advanced studios, uh, probably, you know, teams that have had experience previously, uh, you know, 
maybe in other companies that kind of not not first time you know builders uh of studios because uh, that's kind of the dna that we have at Slowfront. uh and then on the personal level um i like to see things right at the beginning so completely the other opposite you know very seed opportunities to understand and feel the market and that's why i'm personally doing you know angel investing you know worldwide but also in india alongside uh, you guys at lumikai because uh so so that's so i like to see really both extremes yeah well it's interesting i mean you've been a pretty active angel investor and you come from a vc background yourself i, I think aside from the late stage company mandate that you have at stillfront what are some of the personal filters and just for the benefit of some of the early stage founders that are that are tuning in like how do you look at these opportunities and what are some of maybe your top three kind of qualities or metrics that you look for yeah so the number one quality is um that we look at is the ability to uh, build a evergreen free to play ip so if you have built a game that we think is evergreen qualities is a game that will you be able to operate as a live service for many many years that's really the key thing that we that we look for uh the second thing is um is obviously the the, the culture and uh, and the strength of the team we spend a lot of time making sure that there's you know good culture fit you know we look at you know core values like humility and competence that are super super key for us that's kind of the second thing and then the third thing which is already a tough or always a tough one to say is we know it's hard to be profitable when you're making games but we want you to be profitable we want you to run and operate a profitable business uh for us to consider acquiring you yeah from the outset not from the outset but once you get to a position where you're talking to us you should be in a situation where you're either uh delivering profitability or you have a very clear path to deliver right. profitability the only reason you're not delivering it is because you're doing massive ua with clear you know clear you know ros paybacks within x number of you know of months etc etc right got it Another interesting trend, and Justin, you touched on this, um, we're seeing uh, in Indian studios uh, more recently is their success globally. Um, and obviously, we've seen it with PlaySimple, we've seen it with studios like Nukebox and plenty of others, Gameberry. Uh, how do you guys view the potential for Indian studios and IP to break out and become successful in other markets? Um, and how should founders be thinking about this? I, I'm, I'm kind of specifically interested in uh, Alexis, I'm sure you have your inputs on this as well, but uh, Go, obviously Sega works on a lot of quite Japanese-centric IP like the Shin Megami Tensei titles that are successful worldwide, the Yakuza titles, and uh, Justin, I know your prior experience at Disney, you know, games like Kingdom Hearts, which became huge globally. I'm just curious to get your view on kind of what should founders be thinking about in terms of IP building and then the ability to transfer that IP to a global market. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the things that personally interests me the most about seeing how India evolves in the next few years is, is I, I believe it's when and not if, uh, but when and in what uh, fashion will you f see the first sort of global India-based game franchise? What will that look like? And, you know, if you, Japan's actually an interesting benchmark, you know, back in the day, it was on console, of course, but that's not really the point. It's like early on in the evolution of the game industry, Japan was able to develop certain franchises that to this day resonate well uh, with audiences several generations deep now. And some of them come from Sega. Um, 
and others like Sega. And uh, those are the companies with longevity. So in, in, in our home in, in Tokyo, I mean, it's the Square Enixes, it's the, it's the Konamis and the Segas and the Capcoms and the Bandai Namcos. And, and um, you know, uh, I'm really interested to see how the equivalents of those companies in India evolve, right? Mm -hmm. So how long will it take? Um, it's almost less important to me what device or business model, but more about character and story development. Um, I am interested in genre, right? Um, Japan was able to build its base off of RPG, right? And, and Kingdom Hearts, you mentioned earlier, thank you for that. Um, Kingdom Hearts is a great example of how um, uh, you merged a very Western brand and a very uh, Japanese brand. And, and, and it was really made sense because of the story and the environment it was set in and the basic human emotions that it evokes, uh, the, the, the emphasis on friendship um, and, and, and loyalty. And um, those things transcend any single game or any single platform. And so I'm interested to see what creative talent in India, what sort of ways they're gonna evoke emotions that are universal and, and build franchises around that. Um, yeah. That is gonna be really cool to watch in the next few years. Yeah, and we've seen precedents in other Indian media, right? So, you know, we've, we've seen Absolutely. movies like, you know, Bollywood hits like Baobali become huge successes worldwide and in China. Uh, and on the animation front, you've got, you know, Chota Beam, which is, I think, the second most popular kids show on Netflix worldwide. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it is a matter of time before it comes to games. And there might, in fact, be more transferability within games as a platform that's a little bit flatter. Saito, um, mm -hmm. I'd love to get your perspective on this as well, in terms of Indian IP breaking out and how founders can be thinking about global markets. Right. I mean, I see the same thing, like, uh, as a justice do. Um, pretty not sure about what kind of a genre that uh, India is strong with yet, but I think, like Justin Sensei, I mean, from Japan, it's obvious that stories and looks, and it's all come from the manga culture or storytelling culture in Japan. So I believe uh, India has the same some kind of the same thing. Uh, I'm not sure what that is, but I'm looking forward to see what that is. And to be honest, I haven't found out that yet. Um, for the company again, Japan, it's hard to understand. So that's how, I mean, that's what kind of a antenna I have to have. And that's what we're looking for from the partners or some key players on the Indian market. So it's hard to say, sorry. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Alexis, it's interesting that, you know, your, you know, first acquisition in India is a studio that's focused primarily on the Indian demographic. Was that a conscious choice? And kind of what, what's your thesis on the transferability of, of Indian IP and culture externally? Yeah, so it, it was a conscious choice. Uh, and I think you can look at IP, you know, developed in India, maybe in two ways. Maybe it's oversimplistic, but I'm going to try and do that. I think you can look at Indian cultured IP or games that are very popular in India and they're 
international potential? Do they have potential to also capture people's imaginations? Uh, if you think about game mechanics, think of a game like one of the leading games at Moonfrog, right? Ludo. Extremely popular game in India. Quite popular also in other markets under a different name, like Pachesi and all that. Uh, you know, Moonfrog probably has one of the best, you know, if not the best Ludo game experience in the world right now on mobile. What's the potential of taking that worldwide? Okay, so that would be an example uh, of a, of a not too culture, but kind of still a, a very Indian game, you know, going going international. And then you kind of have the the more like um, I would say the culture agnostic type of IP that can still be developed in India and can work everywhere, which I think is interesting to uh, to look at. I don't know what like uh, if it would be a good parallel, to, uh, you know, for what happened in Japan to say that maybe you've got this. The whole manga culture and uh, you know and, and the certain type of design all that that's you know taken the world by storm and is very clearly Japanese, but you also have games that you know that that that, that, that come from Japan that maybe have, have become almost um, how could I say it? Um, um, uh, non 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 Japan culture associated. If you think of Mario, I think most people yeah. don't think that comes from Japan. So right. can India also develop that that sort of uh, that sort of idea? Yeah. Interesting. So, look, I think more broadly, um, you know, India right now, from a gaming perspective, is is considered to be in this massive bull phase. There's a lot of investment coming in. We're seeing all the macro drivers around usage, quality of developers, etc. Uh, you guys um, have seen the evolution in other emerging opportunity markets. Are there any comparables from some of those other markets you've looked at? And, you know, based on those experiences, Aside from all the opportunities we've talked about, any kind of pitfalls the broader ecosystem you think should be mindful of? Is there anything more broadly as an industry um, or group of developers do you think we should be focused on? Hmm. <laughs> That's a tough question. Uh, I Personally, I'm not aware of an exact parallel of India. Um, some people may try to say, well, because of the scale, maybe once upon a time, China was like that, but I think, I don't mm. think that's right. I think China is very different. Mm. Um, I think it's, it's unique and, and, and that's a good, that's an exciting thing, right? There's, there's, it's been a long time at the very least since there's been a market this big, potentially with such a unique set of, 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 uh, uh, cultural sort of icons that could be reinterpreted as entertainment and games. Um, but at the same time, uh, is you know, to put a realistic lens on it, is still playing catch up in terms of its development acumen. It's not the top developer market in the world, right? There's right. other markets where there's far more established and sophisticated development uh, capabilities at the moment. So, so seeing how that evolves is going to be very unique because the speed with which India is catching up is almost unprecedented, right? The closest parallel might be China. If you look at China 20 years ago versus arguably the best developer market in the world now, where it was 15 years ago. Um, so could India be like that? Maybe, um, but that's part of what makes India so exciting, right? Because we have no idea how fast it's going to ramp up. We only know that it's going to get very interesting. Yeah. Saito-san, I know you look at the broader Asia region as well. You're looking, I think China is obviously a comparable that gets made a lot, but there's also the Southeast Asian countries that are growing very quickly as well. What, what's your view on, I guess, the trajectory of where gaming is going in India? And bearing in mind that 
it's obviously there's rich diversity of culture, but also massive scale compared to some of these other Southeast Asian countries. But what what's your experience then? Well, well, when you compare to market size, I mean, obviously the China is a big, good example, but again, they're grown up by the PC online gaming, which imported from the Korea. Right. And that's very, very different than what we see on uh, India right now. They just skip all the PC online and they're just starting with a mobile gaming. And which makes me interested to the Indonesian market maybe, uh, but the culture is very different. Uh, and I see more strong power on the Indian market. So I think it's, very, again, it's very, very unique. That's yeah. how, yeah. Lexus, anything yeah. you want to add? Yeah, I, I think Justin and Saito covered really well things, you know, like, you know, platform and, and, and you know, and, and comparables with China. Um, I think India is nothing like China. Um, China right now is a bloodbath of competition. Uh, it's a very, very evolved ecosystem. Um, I think India is at the beginnings of building its ecosystem, uh, mostly around mobile experience because that's where the, the market is. And I think it's going to be key to build that ecosystem in the correct way, uh, meaning, you know, making sure that you have a collaborative ecosystem. The cake is so big and it's going to grow so fast that there's no point in trying to, you know, outcompete your competitors at this point. You know, I think at this point is really about collaboration, helping each other, sharing KPIs, it's kind of like what the, fin the Finnish model uh, was doing and was able to build this mega industry because they were so collaborative and helping each other. I think this should be the mindset ideally in India, and then there'll be time to, you know, compete uh, in a very aggressive way when the market is uh, in a more mature phase. So that would be my, my I, I know, I'm not saying that that's how India is developing, but that's my hope and my recommendation. If, in, if India really wants to have a thriving and successful developers market, it's very important to build that ecosystem in the correct way from day one. And I think you guys at Lumikai, being one of the VCs locally there, you have a major responsibility in making that happen. Yeah, yeah. So I'm conscious of time here. I think we have about five minutes left, but I want to talk a little bit about how you guys see the evolution of the market going forward. Uh, so we've talked a lot about how this year has been kind of a bull year and there's been broader inflection points that have kind of all come together and the stars have aligned, a lot of inbound interest. Um, but you know, as you look forward over the next, let's say, three to five years, how do you see the market developing? Where do you see growth areas? And what are the kind of, I guess, focuses for you guys, both on an individual and a company basis, for what you're, you're hoping to see come next? Well, you know, personally, I look forward to seeing the first sort of uh, uh, major global Indian developed hit. And what that's going to be is a personal interest. I don't know if that's in the next three to five years, but uh, I, I think that's going to be fascinating. I would say that personally what I'm looking in the next uh, two to three years to watch is what becomes the uh, genres that the India sort of developer community is excels in. Mm -hmm. So like we know if you want to build a great SLG, you're probably going to want to build it in China right now. And if you're going to try to build an RPG, there's several routes you can go, um, but certainly where I am in Japan would be one of them. Korea would be another one. There's certain 
uh, countries are known for certain genres in particular. And I, I don't really know what that's going to be for India beyond the obvious things today, which are you're very much in the wheelhouse of Ludo and these sort of casual, uh, traditionally what would be called parlor games or, or very sticky social uh, PVP type of experiences, um, which India is showing to be quite good at. So that's probably one. But I, I think there will probably be two or three, and I'm interested to see how that plays out. Yeah. Saito Sun, any thoughts from your side? Well, uh, from my, from Sega's point of view, I think uh, one thing in a I want to see in a five or three or five years in India is that how our IP can fit into. India market with the Indian partners. So I wanted to see more imported IPs uh, in the Indian market. At the same time, I want to see the original, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like what we'll want to see. <laughs> We're hoping mm -hmm. to see in both sides. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Saito-san, have you guys um, tried any experiments with local partners so far? I don't know if you can talk about that publicly, but I'm curious to understand if you've made any forays with your IP into India so far. Uh, yeah, I mean, we are just trying right now. Uh, we're trying to do some uh, deal. Uh, we, I believe I have announced a small deal with a Jia uh, using yeah. our Sonic IP, but... Uh, <laughs> That's about it. I mean, we're looking forward for it. And I'm not sure Sonic is a Western IP or Japanese IP, but yeah, seeing Sonic in a Indian game is pretty much interesting and exciting for us. Hmm. Alexis, would love to get your thoughts as well. And, you know, I mean, we can extend the timeline more than five years. If you're going to dream big here, like <laughs> where do you feel the market's going to go? I know you've done a lot of due diligence on your Moonfrog deal. Uh, where do you and you've seen other markets grow and evolve as well, bearing in mind the peculiarities and you know the, the differences of the India market. Where, where do you see the market going and what are you interested in? Yeah, I mean, really taking big, big picture, long term, as you're saying, five to ten years, because I think short term, I think, is, is quite obvious what's going to happen. I think that investors have completely underestimated and missed the India opportunity uh, for the moment. Of course. There's still a few, a lot of obstacles and issues that could, you know, make that opportunity be delayed even more. Uh, but I think realistically, I would be surprised if within the next 10 years, India doesn't become one of the main markets in the world, uh, at least for mobile games, uh, not just in terms of downloads, but also in terms of revenues. Maybe, of course, not at the level of a China or a US, but definitely, you know, bigger than a big European country. I would be surprised if that doesn't happen. And, you know, and you're talking, you know, pretty large uh, numbers if that if that happens. And then I'd be surprised is that quite honestly, and this is, you know, this is beyond still front, if we don't see, uh, you know, um, you know, another kind of, you know, uh, very large Indian uh, based and started uh, worldwide games player. Uh, because the talent is there, the local market is there, the knowledge is there. The funding is starting to arrive there. Uh, funding is seeing exit routes. They want to see exit routes. The exit routes are, are there because there's, you know, that means you've got founders also 
that have become wealthy from exits. You have, you know, founding teams that can take more risks. So you have a lot of the ingredients for uh, building a world-class company locally. Uh, so I hope we'll see one emerge. Yeah. Uh, we have quite a few questions uh, from users that we're out of time. But I'm just going to ask one. Um, so this is zooming out now away from India specifically. You guys are all running businesses that are leaders in different fields within gaming globally. Uh, just briefly, what are some of the areas of just macro growth within games that you guys are interested in? Is it uh, is it metaverse stuff? Is it NFTs? Is it the creator economy? Like, what are some of the areas that you guys are really excited about from a global lens? So really quickly, I'll get started. So um, I'm actually on on the board of Tesos, which is um, you know a, a new generation blockchain uh, that is very strong in uh, in the NFT space. So and I'm also an investor in uh, Sandbox, which is one of the main you know uh, the main NFT NFT games. So this is an area you know blockchain games NFTs that I'm uh, I'm looking at very carefully and and want to understand and. Uh, Quite frankly, if I was starting a new company from scratch right now in the game space, uh, you know, I'd probably try and do something around that area. Uh, so that's something that I think is, um, is interesting. There's a bubble around it, uh, and there's a bit of uh, a lot of extra hype, but the fundamentals, medium to long term, are strong. So if you approach it in the right way, I think it's a very interesting opportunity. Great, thank you. I mean, I think I think most gaming companies are, are definitely focused on that space right now. And, and, you know, NFTs have just really got a lot of attention in the last 12 months. And I think for, you know, there's some obstacles in entering that uh, part of the industry, but um, and some some clear differences to traditional game making. But I think it's fascinating and uh, it's one area to pursue. But I would also um just in general say that uh new you know and this india does fall in this category is like we're also seeing new uh geos become really significant growth opportunities and india is one southeast asia is another and uh, it's another if you look at what's happening in southeast asia right now it's an incredibly fascinating part of the world with its own set of challenges to really scale your business but you know this thing is going in one direction and, and a very positive direction overall in the next five years. So I would say that in addition to these new sort of opportunities and game uh, sub-industries sub like NFT, I would also say um, new geos that traditionally gaming companies like Sega or Scoping may have not thought about, um, but certainly uh, are presenting opportunities today. Yeah. Saif Hassan, anything to add from Sega's perspective? Uh, well, uh maybe uh from i mean market point of view i think southeast asia is another i agree with justin and also i think i mean from company like sega which has a lot of ips and a lot of console game or package games i think streaming and submission those kind of area is one of the things we are looking for and subscription will change our that market also so uh, yeah uh, i think streaming is one of them yeah okay guys i think uh we're running over a little bit so we'll wrap there for now um thank you so much saito-san alexis justin for joining us i think we have an after hours hangout session now so i will hand it back to joe
Thanks so much, Justin. Uh, you were an excellent uh, moderator, and thanks so much for the speakers. If anyone wants to hang out, you feel free to hang out. We'll try and field a few questions here that are coming in. Maybe we can talk about this one. Any thoughts on Axie Infinity and future of crypto and gaming in India? Oh, lots of revenues at Axie. It's interesting. <laughs> I wonder where it's coming from. <laughs> Uh, now, is the, is the revenue overstated, though? Because some of the research I saw seems to be looking at the overall transaction size relative to the actual revenue generated by, right. by the Axie guys. Yeah. But I think that for me personally, I, I think that I, I kind of agree where, that it's a little bit overblown. Like, I think long term, sure, you know, NFTs are the future for everything, not, not just for gaming, but for everything. But you got to think that the majority of like the models aren't going to work out <laughs> in the, in, in the medium term, but longer term. Yeah. I, I, I so I, I kind of share the same kind of perspective on, on, on crypto there. Any other perspectives? No, I just a very brief point. I think if you may, if, if you mix IP plus rarity, plus a better platform to protect that, plus a way of uh, making your time gaming matter more or even become a revenue source that's legal versus illegal, you know, thinking of the, you know, the gold mines for miners for Warcraft and all that, and you get that equation right, uh, then there's something really interesting there. Uh, the thing is, I think we're really at the beginning of that, and very few people are getting it completely right, that's all. Yeah, and I think there's just so for me personally, just just I don't understand the the economic model, right? Like mm. for some of these new uh, cryptocurrencies, how can they give like a twenty percent return? <laughs> like where, where is this money being generated from? I I mean I I I assume people have checked it out, but I just don't understand uh, how some of the economics work. So that that was that's sort of the question mark I have. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we started to see just on it from a fund basis. Um, I think it's early days, but we have started to see more NFT, India-specific NFT plays come into the market. Um, a lot of them are based around something. Given this is driven primarily by scarcity and and IP, as Alexis mentioned, the obvious plays are in cricket, Bollywood, music, but. There are some questions around, I think, execution and the who owns who's actually the the end owner of that IP. So who's going to be the right person to bring it to market? But we are starting to see more activity in that space, but it's early at the moment. Yeah, that was going to be my only comment. Is falling back on my Disney, my 17 years at Disney was like uh, uh, rights ownership, big deal. Um, so it's uh, I, I know who will make money. It will be the lawyers. <laughs> the hotter this industry gets the, the more the lawyers will make alright another question coming in what kind of games do you think will be leading the growth in game dev in upcoming years so similar to, to the question you asked Justin uh, I I personally and you know just, just kind of talking my own book I, I think that shooters are, still have a lot of room for growth right mm. like, you look at the growth of shooters over the last two years and there's kind of like this notion of uh, it's called convergence theory, where once you have the the right set of variables converge, the right technologies, right, and so like device performance, uh, you know, the the UIs got better, uh, multiplayer netcode got better, and so 
that to me is what led to the big growth in terms of shooters of the past couple of years. So we've been seeing this, you know, I think uh, 45% CAGR growth in terms of revenue over, you know, 87% growth CAGR in, in terms of like downloads. And so, but we've only seen two subgenres, right? And so uh, team deathmatch and battle Royale comprise, you know, almost 90, at least in the Western market, almost 90% of the revenue. And so when we look at every other gaming genre and we see what, what we call subgenre expansion, right? That we believe that there will, there will be subgenre expansion. And so for us, we, even if we don't get our perspective on what that subgenre expansion is going to look like right on the first try, we think we'll, that somebody will figure it out and then we can at least fast follow. So, so that, that's kind of our perspective in terms of an upcoming opportunity. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I would challenge with that is um, shooter games are really hard to monetize uh, and you need to really yes. get to a certain to us because of the competitive aspects and then yeah, the yeah. pay to win versus Aha, especially free to play. That, that's why you get 4X guys to, to do it. <laughs> right. And, and so when you look at shooters and, and, and to Alexis's point, like if you look at the, the typical um, LTV for shooter games based upon a cosmetics battle, pit, battle pass model, it's been like $2 or less, right? I mean, and, and so the trick with shooters is can you apply a fair-to-play model with a different form of monetization? If you can figure that out, then all of a sudden – you could have a dramatically higher monetization and per user revenue model, right? And so if you can do that, that's what we're trying to do. Mm, cool. Mm. I, th I think right now there's, um, we're in a big boom of um, merge games. Um, yeah. I mean, we're seeing some, you know, some merge games doing really well. I, I personally have two angel investments in two, you know, you know, companies that are focusing on merge games and they're like two rocket ships. I haven't seen this in a long time. Yeah. I don't know if we're uh, at the beginning, at the middle, or at the end of the boom. To be honest, I think the 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 the, the more mature players in merge games are, are starting to get, go back to earth. But there's new forms of using the merge mechanic around you know other things that that that, that are happening. And this, to me, is not indicative of necessarily of just the merge mechanic being great. I think it's indicative of us being a bit too lazy in terms of what are the types of game mechanics and games that appeal to the female demographic, which is becoming the biggest demographic in games and on mobile. Uh, maybe over relying for a little, a little too much time on match three and then you know different versions of match three. So I think there's going to be interesting um, you know uh, game development opportunities uh, for that demographic with potentially you know game designs that we haven't seen yet. Right. Mm. Yeah, I, I think just to add to that, uh, looking adjacent to just a pure gaming lens, um, you know, certainly from an indie perspective, we're also seeing the next evolution of what kind of, so I mean, if you take traditional digital social media, what is an interactive lean forward kind of participatory version of that look like? How do you gamify that? Uh, we, we made an investment in a company recently called Ilo Ilo. It started, started as a live shopping platform um, on mobile, and then they gamified the experience. They found that actually the creators were less interested in selling their products. They just wanted a platform to interact with their, with their community and their fans. So this idea of taking you know, short-form video or live streaming and then layering in this kind of lean-forward interactive kind of layer into that is really interesting. 
And I think it's also going to bring new audiences into the market to Alexis's point. In fact, you know, Elo Elo, over 80% of the top creators on that platform are female. It's just a safe environment. It's maybe not considered traditional gaming, but it's marrying something that's somewhat familiar in another media and then adding that interactive layer to it. So I think we're going to see some innovations there as well. Yeah, the, the other thing I think that's happening is hybridization. We've been seeing that over the past couple of years in 4X, right? Where you're starting to all of a sudden see different game models in 4X. Like, what, what what's this doing here? Like tower defense in, in a 4X or this in, a, in, in that type of genre. And I think that's starting to um, penetrate to, to Alexis, your point, in, in merge games as well. So I, I think finding, and this is like, I, and I don't know if Saito-san's gone, but that, that's part of the way that a lot of the Japanese think in terms of uh, game design and innovation is they believe in the mm -hmm. DNA model, right? And so you just have different forms of whether it's hybridization or gameplay to game systems, and they just do X's, MMO cross gotcha you know, shooter across gotcha, this cross gotcha. And then they take the next mechanic and they just start doing the, the whole DNA model. So it's, it's striking a balance between making an experience that feels fresh, but also familiar, right? So the core the game- The strange attractor, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're, yeah, Japan, they've done that a lot. I'm seeing a, more of that in China these days, actually. Um, yeah. And, 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 and I think- because there's, it's so hyper-competitive in China now that the developers are trying to find that little something extra that makes what they're putting out in the market feel fresh. So that is uh, manifesting in more sort of hybrid type of approaches too. Um, and But at some point, a hybrid can just feel like this hodgepodge of stuff that doesn't really all should not sit in the same game. So you have to if you execute, you need to execute well. And what is sort of the reason why it feels organic for two different or three different types of gameplay to exist all within one game, right? Um, what is the connecting tissue there? Is it story? Is it a character um, uh, evolution? It, it, it's it's a challenging thing to figure out. Um, but uh, personally, it's, it's something I love uh, to keep things fresh. What's that uh, that game that's topping the Japanese charts at the moment? Um, it's kind of like a hybrid of a dating sim and like a horse racing game. Oh, yeah, Uma Musume Pretty Derby. Uma Musume, yeah. So <laughs> like, um, if someone had given you a pitch for that, like, you know, you would be like, what the hell is this? But it's it's doing incredible. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, it, and it, it has a manga backdrop and it has a TV animation and it's it's a franchise. And, uh, and that's part of the connecting tissue. So it's not just that hey, I want to play an SLG, so I'm playing this, or whatever it is. The loyalty is to the franchise, first of all, I think. Yeah. Uh, guys, unfortunately, I need to drop off for another meeting, but thank you so thank much. You. I hope you enjoyed this. Joe, thank you for organizing, and I'm looking forward to uh, the next one. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Take care. Thanks, Alexis. Thanks, Justin. Thanks. <laughs> so, wow, am I uh, the last it's, man standing? It's you, me, and looks like we've got uh, 35 people left, although I think LinkedIn shut off, so we lost some people there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened on LinkedIn, but uh, uh, Justin, do you have any thoughts as far as uh, this next question? What trends do you see in free-to-play monetization? Anything new from India that could represent a new direction? Uh, I actually do not have a good answer for the second part. I just don't, 
I'm not going to pretend to know the India market or the recent trends well enough to represent that as I will just say something incorrect. So I'm not going to try. Um, but in terms of free to play monetization sort of a trend, I mean, I think you know, in the last two years, we've seen a lot of uh, new models come up and, you know, this whole concept that battle passes has become just standard. Uh, yeah. But, you know, if you go back a couple, you know, a year, year and a half, I don't, I think, I don't think that was, at least on mobile, not necessarily the case as much. I think it's just become more and more accepted and expected. I think that um, going forward, um, what will be some of the, the, the things you were talking about shooters earlier, how do you avoid the pay to win trap and allow for real competition in some of these 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 genres that require that while still having a very attractive monetization model. The more pressure to make sure that your game is 100% fair and it's not pay to win, the more innovation will, will evolve from that. I think, you know, arguably battle pass, I think came partially from that, you know, and, and, and uh, season passes and things like that. But, you know, I would have to say in the last six months, I haven't seen anything that I said, wow, that, that, that's new. That's a really great idea. You know, in terms of the, uh, new sort of tactics to monetize and free to play. Right. Um, maybe it's a lack of fresh ideas, but I really haven't seen that much. Yeah. I will say that I think that there are probably some new things coming and then, Depending on what happens with app stores, I mean, we we may we 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 may see some potential for even more innovation. But generally, yeah. I I would say that usually, whether it's game mechanics or free to play monetization models, it's usually rooted in something that has already existed. So, I mean, the battle pass prior to Fortnite popularizing it existed in Dota, right? And so, yeah, sure. um, so yeah. So that's that's what I would recommend to uh, the folks in the audience to do is that sometimes the future can be predicted by what's out there existing or in the past. And you know, we have some ideas at Leela in terms of like uh, different ideas for how to monetize uh, our our player base, uh, mixing some stuff that's not popular now but has been used uh, successfully in other domains or by other game companies that may not have quite achieved the scale, but has shown some some forms of success. So I would just recommend people keep their, their eyes open for things like that. Hmm. Question, do I ever sleep? <laughs> no, not much. Uh, good to see you there, Matthew. Um, <laughs> Justin, you didn't know anything about the law? Do you think there will be patents for crypto mechanics, structures, and games like how patents in game development programming have? Uh, I do. Okay, great. Because <laughs> I, I, I don't. <laughs> um, well, you know, it's... Uh, let's put it this way. There will be companies that attempt to do that. And um, I think that um, uh, whenever you have this sort of explosion in a new area of entertainment and gaming, we've seen it several times, um, uh, inevitably litigation ensues um, at some point. You know, people claiming they own a particular game mechanic and there's this other game that looks exactly the same and they spend three years on litigation. And so it, it, it's very hard 
you know, I don't think the movie industry has an equivalent, but it's almost like somebody comes up with a new genre take and they want to patent it. Right? So it's like um, romantic comedies in movie or did somebody have the patent on that, you know, or something like, you know, it's just at some point it, it just, everybody moves on and says, yeah, 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 that's crazy. Of course that's not. But I think crypto mechanics and structure at this point, it's so early that I would be surprised if you don't see companies try. Okay. We've got another question. If players play the game for the first three days, they're much more likely to continue playing it over a longer period of time. How much realistic this is with respect to puzzle versus shooter game genres? Uh, okay. Well, you know, I think if you're kind of asking whether the first three days of player behavior is predictive of longer term gameplay, I would say that it is. I think you should look up. There's a, there's actually a study by Google that looked at retention versus like the first 10 minutes of gameplay. And I would say that, um, other studies have been done that kind of show that that you can actually predict longer term retention even by the first not even the first three days but by the first 10 minutes although in my experience the data that i've seen shows that that proves true for casual games and not really mid-core or hardcore games hmm. but i would say that you know you can have early signals some of the early signals i you know, don't make sense. And, and so that's why you've got like machine learning algorithms that are instrumented against 50, 100, 150 different signals. Cause sometimes you don't know what the things are that could indicate, hmm. you know, longer term retention or engagement in a game. Um, yeah. But that's what I would recommend is like, there are some things that you, that just kind of make sense, right? Like, so the, the early 4X games showed that if you joined an alliance within the first day, your monetization and retention were dramatically higher. And so early signals like that kind of make sense and you can kind of figure out. And for more complex games with lots of systems, just instrument everything you can and, and let, let the algorithm figure it out for you would be my recommendation. Hmm. Uh, Justin, I don't know if you know much about narrative, but we do have a question from Adnan Amrulewala. What, according to you, is a secret of good game story? Example, Disney is great at storytelling, but the game studios that have made Disney IP games have historically been a letdown. Wow. it's uh, a great question. So, so um, I should step back. So when I was at Disney, I was overseeing all of the games Disney made uh, with uh, uh, in Asia. So we made... Over my 10 years of running the business, we made games, uh, probably made about 40, 30 to 40 games in the region, if you include, including Star Wars and Marvel, right, and Pixar. And so um, I would say we had a hit ratio of one in three, one in four. It was pretty good, actually. Um, and um, what I think is when we failed, it was because we almost, story was too intrusive because we forgot that first and foremost, people are downloading our apps or, or, or buying our console game because they want to play a great game. And so story needs to be additive, additive, but not intrusive. It's not a movie. It's not linear. It's also not meant to, to tell you the outcome. You, you are the one that determines the outcome. However, 
I think there's a big difference between mobile and console, and I think there's a big difference between um, casual and mid-court. So we had a, a pretty successful game with NetMarble called uh, Marble Future Fight. And today the, the sequel, Marvel Future Revolution, was released. And I was overseeing those games. And um, those games are first and foremost great gaming experiences, but there's actually pretty pretty detailed storylines and scripts. And the two games actually have some connective tissue. That's why the names are so similar. And I think Marvel fans really like that without going too deep and being restrictive on what the outcomes of the game can be. So it's very hard. And sometimes a company like Disney or Marvel, we, we want to tell stories so bad we, we get over our skis and we muck it up a bit. But when we do it right in gaming, you get a Kingdom Hearts, you yeah. get a, a, a uh, Marvel future fight, you get a uh, that type of outcome. Yeah. I personally have like the same answer for any form of art. And for some of you who are subscribed to the Game Makers uh, newsletter, I, you know, I, I kind of wrote about this in a post called Designing for Emotion. And really, uh, the, the answer is, for me, a good story, a great song, a great game is all about the depth of the emotion that it elicits in, in, in you as a consumer. And so if the story makes you feel something, if it surprises you, if it makes you laugh, if it makes you sad, that to me is what makes something a great story, right? And so... Um, Basic human emotions. Exactly. So, they, so for, for Kingdom Hearts, uh, you know, Disney's um, franchise with Square Enix, um, we would do a concert tour, world concert tour every year, an orchestral concert that plays the music from the series. And I would go to some of these shows, two, 3,000 people in order to turn, and they would start queuing up the first song and the fans in the audience, and we always sold out, they would be crying before they were halfway through the first song. And that's the emotion that the game evokes because it also triggers memories. So it's a very basic human emotion thing. And I think when stories can achieve that, but also deliver great gameplay, you got gold. Okay, so let's maybe we could take one last question here by the. Bavesh KV, I have seen that by just changing the application icon or banners in Play Store will increase the new installation percent. What do you guys think? How can we attract new user continuously? Yeah, I so I you know my my response to this is that I, I agree with you. There's a lot you can do, not not only with the icon, but in terms of ASO more generally, as far as the you know the the screenshots stuffing keywords in the description as well as in the YouTube video description text because the algorithm pulls all that stuff, you know, and then you can try and um, reverse engineer the algorithm. Like with Apple, it used to be that if you repeated a word four times, that word would index a little bit more strongly. I mean, they, they're changing the algorithm all the time. But yeah, an icon itself and whether you badge the icon or for certain games, if you say, you know, 2021 Deer Hunter or, you know, the, whatever the next year is, that increases engagement. So I would, I would highly recommend that you look at ASO in the current environment in which we're operating, which is in a post-IDFA deprecation world, ASO yeah. does become more important. So look at that, mm -hmm. but look at all of it, not just the icon, but, you know, different variations on the icon. I also think that you should think about 
when it comes to the icon or the screenshots or what you're doing for ASO, try to think about the player and the themes around why are they coming to play this game? It's a hunting game. Are they there to kill something? Are they there because they like animals? Are they there for you know a social hunting experience? Come up with hypotheses in terms of the themes and let that then dictate some of the creatives that you develop and just experiment and iterate and you'll I mean, this is this is a proven proven practice. There's there's people who are experts at this kind of stuff, um, and you will learn just by experimentation, by trying these different things out, and it will definitely, absolutely improve performance. Hmm. Any other thoughts or concluding concluding message for our audience, Justin? Uh, no, other than. Uh... Just want to express my gratitude. This has been great. I appreciate the time and being allowed to participate. And uh, for the people who are watching, uh, thank you and um, best of luck. I'm sure most of you are in the industry, if not all of you, and you're working hard every day to make great games and, and to publish great games. And uh, best of luck in, uh, in being successful. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much, Justin. Thanks, everybody, for joining. And, yeah, catch us at the next event. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye.